Acts chapter number 4 in your Bibles this morning. Acts chapter number 4. We're going to read beginning in verse number 23 here in just a moment. Let me give you the backdrop before we read our text. Acts chapter number 3. Peter and John went to the temple to pray. They met an old man on the way. He stuck out his palm and asked for an alms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and... And he went walking and leaping and praising God. How many of you have heard that song before? Let's sing it. Ready? Peter and John went to pray. They met an old man on the way. He stuck out his palm and asked for an almond. This is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he went walking and leaping and praising God, the scriptures say. You say, Pastor, that was for in that other room singing songs like that. Well, maybe most weeks, but uh, it was a song I learned as a child. That's what happened in Acts chapter number 3. And can you imagine a man who had been lame... So many years being healed and up walking and leaping and praising God, it caused a ruckus in the temple. Okay, To such a degree that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, boy, I got their names mixed up. Uh, the Sadducees were the liberals of Jesus' day. Uh, the Pharisees were the ultra-work salvation conservatives. The Sadducees didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were sad, you see. Okay. <laughs> <clears throat> but united around a common enemy, the cause of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees and Sadducees came together. And when this lame man was healed and he's leaping and walking and praising God in the temple, it caused such a ruckus that they captured Peter and John, put them in hold overnight, brought them before the council the next morning. And uh, when they found out they were associated, notice if you would, verse number 10 of chapter number 4, Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And so they are imprisoned for this healing, and then they're called in the next morning, and they're threatened not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. They're released from being threatened because the man was above 40 years old. Verse number 22, on whom this miracle of healing was showed, there's no way they could deny that a mighty work of God had been done. And so they threatened Peter and John. And notice verse number 23, and being let go, they went to their own company, that is the other disciples, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, notice their first response, they didn't call their senator. They didn't have one. They didn't plan a referendum at the next election. They didn't have the right to vote, the privilege to vote. And so they were left with no other recourse but to pray. And I say that a little tongue-in-cheek. Okay, how many times do, once we've done everything else, we pray instead of this being our first resort? They lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hast said, and then they quote Psalm 2, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? 
The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For, notice they acknowledged the difficulty, the adversity, the persecution for of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, understood as Messiah, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever, notice this, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants deliverance so that we don't have to experience adversity. If your Bible says that, we have a trash can at the back where you can throw it away. Okay. Grant that unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. By stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and in answer to their prayer, they spake the word of God with boldness. I want us to see this morning that in the experience of these apostles as first century believers and in our experience as first or 21st century believers, even in whatever kind of adversity or persecution that we may face, I want you to understand that you can be serene in the sovereignty of God. You can be serene in the sovereignty of God. Father, we need your help this morning. I pray that you would as we visit a little bit here this morning the truths about your sovereignty and what kind of actions that that should produce in our lives, I pray that we would, as your people, be brought to a steady rest and calm as we think about your sovereignty, your power, that no rebellion of man can thwart your will will be done. And I'm grateful for the assurance of that this morning. Thank you that your plan will be accomplished and that you can even use the, the wicked and the rebellious devices of men in your sovereign plan over an extended period of time to accomplish your work even when man seeks to undermine it. And so I praise you, God, today for the truth of your sovereignty, that you are in complete control all the time over everything. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. It has become my habit, because of a warping childhood experience, I'm being a little facetious, it has become my habit at election time, whether it's midterm like now or the main election cycle in two years, to just fix my mind and heart on the sovereignty of God. I got an amen from out there too. I remember as a child, not all, but many of the adults in my life would go into a frazzle in the weeks and months approaching an election. And let me just say to all of us big people in here, when we act that way, it makes an indelible impression on those little ones back there. When we say things like, if the good guys don't win this election, the world could come to an end. This is the most important election. I want to say this. It's important. It's important. No denying it. But there have been other crucial elections in our nation's history too. And there will be more to come should the Lord tarry his coming. The world's coming to an end. As a matter of fact, it is. <laughs> Shock. The world is coming to an end. And I'm really kind of glad 
Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is going to make a new one. A new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And the name of the city in that new world will be called Jehovah Shema because the Lord is there. I didn't plan, that's not my notes. I didn't plan to say that. But anyway, I have a good pastor friend. Aren't you glad for the sovereignty of God? Everybody in this room, most everybody in this room has an opinion about how they want the election on Tuesday to turn out. Did I just state a truth? Okay, I did. Everybody has an opinion. But it's very possible that it's not going to turn out the way everybody wants it to. Let me tell you something. Regardless of how the election turns out on Tuesday, everything is all right in my father's house. Okay. And at times like this, when news media and people are all up in a tizzy, we need to be reminded of the sovereignty of God. Our father is at the helm of the ship of life. I got a pastor friend in Michigan years ago. He told the story about years ago when his son was younger. He had one son and twin daughters. The daughters were getting ready to go off to college. They were making a final shipping, uh, shopping trip. And uh, they were stopped in front of the store at this big department store in Michigan called Meyer. And uh, as the mom and the twin college-age girls were climbing out of the back of the vehicle, the father and the son sitting up front, as they were climbing out of the back of the vehicle, one of the twin daughters noticed... Uh, a boy, a teenage boy crossing the crosswalk with his baggy pants down somewhere between hips and knee. And the daughter just said in passing, that twin, one of the twins said, somebody needs to tell that boy to pull his pants up. Well, it's late summer, early fall, the windows are down, and so the little son of my pastor friend just shouted out, hey, pull your pants up! The dad went into a panic. He's like, he looked at his son and he said, son, you're going to get me beat up. And the boy looked at his dad and he said, no, dad, you got it. <laughs> I want you to understand something this morning. Your heavenly father has it. Now, I'm not advocating shouting at boys in crosswalks to pull their pants up. Okay. I think there are more gentle ways to approach subjects like that. But anyway, your father has it. He is in complete control all the time in every situation. Men may be rebellious and disobey his revealed will, but they cannot thwart his ultimate sovereign will. I'll say it again. Men may be disobedient to and rebel against his revealed will, but they cannot thwart his sovereign will. From these disciples, we learn the importance of being serene in the sovereignty of God. I want you to notice several important steps of action that will help us to be serene in the sovereignty of God, regardless of what happens on Tuesday. By the way, if the election goes the way that you want it to go, don't fall into the trap of resting in that. Don't be presumptuous. Okay? I want you to notice these men, the first thing that they did to stay serene in the sovereignty of God was they resolved to seek God's face in prayer. First action, first action. Prayer was not a last resort or something down the line that they 
implemented. It was the very first response to adversity. Verse number 24, and when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord. May I say to you this morning that prayer is the greatest expression of trust in the Lord. You've heard me say this before too. It's not original with me. I've heard my dad echo it and echo it and echo it. But this, prayerlessness is the greatest form of pride. Prayerlessness is a declaration of independence from God. But a prayer life is a declaration of dependence upon God. And one of the ways that we enter into serenity in the sovereignty of God is by resolving to seek God's face in prayer in the good times and in the bad times. I'm reminded of Luke chapter number 18 when Jesus told the parable of the unjust judge and the importunate widow woman who just stayed after him and stayed after him and stayed after him and stayed after him until finally in frustration, the unjust judge said, okay, okay, I don't care about this woman, I don't care about her case, but just to get her off my back, I'm going to rule in her situation. And Jesus said, listen, hear what the unjust judge saith. If an unjust judge will respond to the importunity of a destitute widow woman like that, then how will your heavenly father respond to you as his child when you come to him in prayer? And then he finished that parable by saying this, when the Son of Man comes, will he find what? Faith on the earth. Get this. The picture is that when Jesus comes again, he's looking for faith. And the way that he's going to see it, the way that it will be obvious that faith is here is through the prayers of God's people. I noticed the approach of these men. Notice what they don't ask for. They don't ask for a turnover in the Sanhedrin council. <laughs> You're sitting here thinking, are you saying don't vote, Pastor? Uh-uh. No, I'm not saying that. Do you know we have blessings and privileges that they didn't have in the first century? I'm just going to go ahead and say this now. One of the reasons I think a Christian citizen should vote is because it's a privilege given to you as a citizen, a right given to you. And if you look at the Apostle Paul, though the human government in that day was a completely different structure, you look at the Apostle Paul and you found the Apostle Paul, you find the Apostle Paul using the privileges that he had as a citizen both of Israel and of Rome, using those for the sake of the gospel. Vote! Okay. But notice, when these men pray... The first thing they do is they remind themselves, and this is what praying will do for you. It'll remind you of who God is. When you pray, it is a, it's a tangible expression through the posture of praying, through the, the way that you pray, through the very exercise of prayer. It is an expression of your remembering who God is. Notice what they say in their prayer. Thou art God. And we could say this, no one else is understood. Thou art God. What does our God have the ability to do which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is? So I notice that in praying, they remind themselves of who God is. And notice this, they don't request deliverance in this situation, but they request power to preach with boldness. 
I was thinking about the importance of prayer and the words of a song. Oh, how praying rests the weary. An author that I was reading recently, he said he went to a conference one time where the man was speaking on stress. It was a Christian conference. And the man made this point that he believed stress was the result of the competition of two agendas. God's agenda and my agenda. The tension that results from living life, acknowledging God's agenda, but also wanting mine accomplished, results in stress. So, Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 6, your eye needs to be single. In other words, there's only one agenda that matters. It's God's. And my responsibility and the privilege that I have in prayer is I'm praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to understand this morning, one of the things that prayer accomplishes is it doesn't get earth's will done in heaven. The goal is to get heaven's will done on earth. To streamline our lives according to God's agenda. And in so doing, stress will be relieved. Can God work through an elected official that you didn't vote for? Uh-oh, pastor, the rubber just met the road in the application of the principle. Hey, if he can work through a Nebuchadnezzar, if he can work through a Caesar, if he can work through a Pharaoh, he can work through a high official that is not in line with your position. So, resolve to seek God's face in prayer, and it'll help you to be serene in the sovereignty of God. Number two, rest in His sovereignty. That's exactly what these men do. Thou art God, verse number 24, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea, and how much of all that uh, that is in them? All that in them is. Rest in His sovereignty in creation. I was so grateful for this biblical worldview class that we just took. How many of you heard the name Richard Dawkins? Richard Dawkins is something of the... He's 81 years old now, retired from Oxford University. He is an evolutionary biologist and also a poster child of rabid, anti-Christian, anti-God atheism. Someone teased about Richard Dawkins and said, I've never seen anybody so worked up over someone they don't believe even exists. In a recorded interview with a man by the name of Ben Stein, the title of the video is called Expelled. It tracks how people that believe in intelligent design or the biblical view of creation are mustered out of the universities and the educational institutions of our nation. Ben Stein, in his interview with Richard Dawkins, brought up all of the the, the main four arguments against the evolutionary view, the, the process of evolution's natural selection, where something came from nothing, okay, and life came from no life. And he brought up all the different main arguments, biogenesis, that life comes from life. It has to. 
And I see some of you in that biblical worldview class nodding your head, brought up what's called the anthro, uh, anthropomorphic or anthropic principle. And that is this, that the universe was designed with humans in mind, finely tuned in all of its chemical and uh, electromagnetic structure, the oxygen we breathe, the, the chemicals, the elements, everything that's finely tuned where if anything is out of balance, it becomes unfit for human life. But God designed the universe with human life in mind. There's no other explanation for it. He talked about the fossil record. The missing link is still missing. And on and on. And then the one of irreducible complexity. And that is this, is when you get all the way down to the atomic structure, the foundation of matter and energy in our universe, there are indispensable components, even at that irreducible level, that in order for the atomic structure to exist, there are components, multiple parts, and every one of them has to be there in order for there to be life. In other words, they couldn't have had it where one part developed over time and then came alongside the other parts. All the parts had to be there or it fell apart. Okay. So Ben Stein brings up some of those arguments. And Richard Dawkins, I kid you not, he said this, he would rather believe that life on earth was sown by aliens than that God created life. I remember, and I still think this, I want to look at him and say, is that the best you got? Aliens? Really? But I want you to understand something. One of the great evidences of the sovereignty of our God is to just look at creation. The course of history a thousand years before Jesus came. God, and, and Acts speaks to this. Notice it if you would. Verse 25. Who, God, by the mouth of thy servant David, hast said. And he quotes Psalm 2. Written a thousand years before Jesus ever came to earth. A thousand years before Jesus ever came to earth. God, through David, prophesied that when Jesus did come people on earth weren't going to like it. And they were going to raise up in rebellion. Notice it. Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. The apostles in their praying acknowledges of a truth. Can I say it this way? Against thy holy child Jesus, just like God said it would happen a thousand years ago. Another way that we see the evidence of the sovereignty of God and can rest in it is by looking at his control in the course of history. I also can see the sovereignty of God. We can and rest in his sovereignty when we see how he constituted human government a long time before there was a United States of America. Now, let me just say this. I am grateful for the Constitutional Republic of the United States of America. And I said that exactly the way I meant to say it. A Constitutional Republic. Okay. I'm grateful for that. But may I tell you that a Constitutional Republic is a relatively new idea in forms of human government. Okay, You might find bits and pieces of it in other governments. But the Bible makes it clear 
from Genesis chapter 9 and verse number 6 all the way through to Romans chapter number 13 that the powers that be are ordained of God. Okay, get this. Human government was God's institution. He is sovereign over it. Go to Daniel chapter number 4. And you'll find in Daniel chapter number 4 that not only is he sovereign over human government as the creator, the institutor, the ordainer of human government, but he also decides who gets put up and taken down as the rulers in that government. He even told Daniel, Daniel chapter number 4, through Daniel to Nebuchadnezzar, that if God wants to, he can raise up for his own purposes that may be a mystery to us, but in his infinite mind will accomplish his sovereign plan. He may even raise up the basest of men to rule in the governments of this world. Isaiah chapter number 40 shows us that when it comes to his being sovereign over the governments of the world, over human government, not only in instituting it, not only in who rules in it, but the timing, the length of time. You want to talk about term limits? (laughs) God's got term limits. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 40 that the princes of this earth are like grass. God can blow on any of the most fierce and wicked of earthly rulers, and they're gone. Also in the decisions that they make. This is fascinating to me. Do you see why Christians shouldn't be wringing their hands? We should be serene in His sovereignty. I think about two instances, and I'm just going to mention these in passing. In the Old Testament... Two instances where in the case of a son of David by the name of Absalom who rebelled against his daddy, David fled Jerusalem. Absalom came in and called Ahithophel and Hushai, two counselors before him. And I got to tell you, from a human perspective, Ahithophel's counsel, when Absalom said, give counsel here, what should we do? My dad's fled east across the Jordan. What should we do? Ahithophel said, give me 12,000 men, I'll go after him, and I will wipe David out, and I'll bring all Israel back to you. Hushai said, no, no, that's not good at this time, he said, because he, they're, they're like bears robbed of their whelps. They're going to be on the defensive, and, and uh, there will be a bigger fight. I got to tell you, from a human perspective, Ahithophel's advice was better advice. Let's go get him now. Do you know what God did? Because it was God's plan to destroy Absalom. God blinded Absalom's mind to the better advice from a human perspective. And he used the counsel of Hushai, which was really from a human perspective not as good a counsel to frustrate Ahithophel's counsel. Why? Because God was in control of a governmental leader's decision. Something similar happened when it came to David's grandson, Rehoboam. When he rejected the advice of the older men, remember the nation of Israel under the leadership of a man named Jeroboam came to him and said, listen, your daddy Solomon with his heavy taxes nearly brought us to our end. If you'll lighten the taxes and lift the load, Jeroboam said, we will serve you faithfully. So Rehoboam sought counsel. The older men said to him, listen, your dad's tax burden was really heavy. If you give some relief from the taxes, it'll make life better all the way around. Some things never change, do they? 
I won't go into any tax theory today. But how many of you like it when you get a tax break? Okay. Sure you do. Then the younger men came in and Rehoboam said to them, what should I do? And they said, you increase the taxes and you tell them that your little finger is going to be heavier than your father's thigh. And do you know what happened? Because it was God's will for the kingdom of Israel to split. He blinded in some way or another Rehoboam's mind and Rehoboam foolishly took what was worse counsel instead of the better counsel, rejected it. God is sovereign in human government even in the decisions that they make. You say, what if they make decisions that are contrary to the Bible? Remember the statement I made at the beginning of the message? Even when men rebel rebel against and reject God's revealed will, they cannot thwart His ultimate sovereign will. Okay. So, rest in His sovereignty. We're going to see this in just a few moments very specifically as it relates to God's sovereignty in the cross. So I can rest in his sovereignty as I see his hand in creation, the course of history, the constituting of human government, and then in something of a worst-case scenario, the sovereignty of God even in the death of his son. But I want you to notice a third action of these men that brought them serenity because of the sovereignty of God, and that is this. They resolved to seek God's face in prayer, They rested in his sovereignty, and thirdly, they ran to the scriptures. They ran to the scriptures. They quote from Psalm chapter number 2. But I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice two particular phrases that they use. Verse number 24, And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, what are the next three words? Thou art God which made heaven and earth. Go up, if you would, to verse number 27. They acknowledge the reality of the problem. For of a truth, of a truth, against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Thou art God, and of a truth, this is not a good situation. This is a difficult situation. I want you to keep your hand here and go with me to 2 Kings chapter number 19. 2 Kings chapter number 19. This is about 700 years before the account that we are reading about in our text in Acts chapter number 4, 700 B.C. The armies of Assyria have destroyed and sent into captivity the northern ten tribes of the nation of Israel. And now their king, Sennacherib, with his five-star general, Rabshakeh, has set their sights on Jerusalem. They are coming with an army of 185,000 soldiers. Rabshakeh, the general, sends a letter to Hezekiah threatening what he's going to do. Notice verse 14, 2 Kings 19, verse 14. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, what's the next statement? Thou art the God. Even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth... 
As we continue reading verse number 16, Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Notice verse number 17, the first three words, of a truth. Didn't we just see those words in Acts chapter number 4? It's almost as if these men are praying, they're, they're, they're following the example and even praying some of the exact same words that Hezekiah prayed in his prayer 700 years before. Thou art God, notice this, and of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thee thou only. You go over to the latter part of the chapter. Notice, if you would, verse number 35, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians an hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I love that. Can you imagine waking up and finding out you're dead? <laughs> what did these men do? In their predicament, they ran to Scripture. They, they looked at Psalm chapter number 2 written a thousand years before their experience and realized, you know what? What God was saying there, he was talking about what we're going through right now. They made application in their own lives. They went to the story of Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter number 19 that took place 700 years before their experience. We find them following his example, Hezekiah's example, in going before the Lord and crying out to the Lord. Thou art God, and of a truth, these kings of Assyria, or in this case, they have raised up against your holy child Jesus, just like the Bible said they were. They were resting in the sovereignty of God, and one of the ways they demonstrated that was by running to the Scriptures. And notice this. While they were acting out of rebellion, the Bible tells us in verse number 28 that they were actually doing whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. How do we reconcile the sovereignty of God and the free will of man? I like what C.H. Spurgeon said years ago. Why do I need to reconcile friends? The sovereignty of God has mystery to it. The sovereignty of God, he is infinite. I am finite. How many of you want a God that you can understand completely? If you knew everything about him. I got to tell you, if that's the case, he's no bigger than you are. But a God who is infinite and I am finite, it just stands to reason that he's going to be doing things and working in ways that I may not understand. I may not understand, but I can trust. Okay. And notice this. The disciples bring up what we might call a worst-case scenario, and I want you to get this, where things seemed to be out of God's control. Men were rabidly rebellious as they conspired together, both Gentiles and Jews, 
Herod the king, Pilate representing the power of the day, the Roman Empire, conspiring together to bring Jesus to a cross. From a human perspective, it seemed as if God was absent and had no control. And yet the disciples in their prayer give testimony to the fact, in very truth, when man seemed to be completely in control and God out of control, in the worst case scenario, the most terrible injustice in all of human history, the only time a perfect man has ever stood on trial and been found guilty, injustice like never before and never since, and it seems that God is not sovereign And yet the Bible makes it clear that even in that worst case scenario, God was in complete control, perfect control, and was the people, even in their wicked motives, were accomplishing what God had before determined would be done. And that is this, that his son would be the substitute lamb to pay the sin debt for the whole world. And that is why today a cross, which when the first century was like putting an electric chair or a noose on the spiral of a courthouse, today a cross is a sign of victory, not defeat. Because it was at the cross that the battle for men's souls was waged And even in his heinous and gruesome death and the shedding of his blood, Jesus won! He won. And it's really the best illustration in all the Bible that even when the circumstances of life, God seems absent and out of his control. It's the best illustration in all the Bible as a worst case scenario, if you would, that even when things seem like that in your life and in mine, mark it down. God is in complete and perfect control. Even if Caesar is on the throne, even if the guy you didn't vote for is in the White House, That doesn't thwart God at all. And so, it's a final thing that these men do to be serene in the sovereignty of God. They resolved to seek God's face in prayer. They rested in His sovereignty. They ran to the Scriptures. And then fourthly, they rejoiced in the solution. What's God's solution? (laughs) His solution is to take it across and defeat the devil with it. I want you to notice that their focus, even as they ask for God's power and strength to be bold in preaching the word, their focus is not on the miracles. They said, Lord, would you affirm? It's the idea of affirm by the stretching forth of your hand. Verse number 30, Acts chapter 4, affirm our message by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, verse 31, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. In the first centuries, you understand, God affirmed in those early days, he affirmed the message of the gospel and the ministry of the apostles and the founding of the church with miracles. 
But I got to ask you a question. When Jesus performed miracles and when the apostles performed miracles, did that mean everybody just believed? No. In fact, sometimes a miracle was performed, and in Paul's case, a miracle was performed, and he got beat up for it. What was the point of the miracles? The point of the miracles in that early stage of Christian history to authenticate supernaturally the message of this book. The need of that is no longer there because we got 2,000 years, get this, of the greater miracle of transformed lives. So as we think about viewing life and adversity through the lens of the sovereignty of God, let us rejoice in His solution. The cross was His idea. By the way, Jesus, Jesus was fully willing and complicit. As a matter of fact, John chapter number 10, Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. And if I lay it down, I will take it up again. Jesus Christ was in complete agreement with the cross. He was the willing substitutionary sacrifice. The cross was God's idea because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for sin. As we think about application of the sovereignty of God in our own lives and circumstances, I want you to understand that God's sovereign and providential working is not usually apparent in the moment. Are you with me? It's not usually apparent in the moment. It's often after hindsight we look back and we say, oh. But the Bible is chocked full of stories and accounts of real people just like you and me, God's people, who had the work of God's sovereignty taking place in their lives. And if you look at their lives, they didn't understand all that God was doing at the time. Think about Joseph forgotten in prison for two years. Wondering, I've been forgotten here. Have I been forgotten here? Yeah, he'd been forgotten. But in those two years, he was getting a political science degree because God knew he was about to become the prime minister of Egypt. God's delays, get this, God's delays are always according to his plan. He's always at work. Josh texted me, Josh Pate, and he uh, said with this land project that we've told many of you about with the purchase of this land on that first village, the village of Anah on the main thoroughfare going in where they want to plant a church. Uh, they've already given some personal finances toward the gift, uh, towards the purchase of the land uh, with the other two missionaries that are already there. But Josh was sharing with me, and I hope he doesn't get upset with my sharing this, but they had a church. This is just a, a simple testimony. Had a church that they recently found out had taken them on for support 18 months ago and forgot to send all their support. 18 months. I don't know, probably a couple thousand dollars total. Forgot. His church had forgotten. And then they all found out, oh, man. So they sent one lump check. You know what Josh said? Well, we don't need it right now. Let's just put it on that land purchase. God caused the church to forget or at least allowed them to forget so that some more money would be accumulated. Even in a situation like that, it's all under God's sovereign care. It may not be apparent in the moment, but I promise you there's a day coming when in hindsight you'll look back and say, oh, 
I see what God was doing now. And it may be different in your life than somebody else's. I've shared with you this story about how my dad had an older brother who died at eight days old. His name was Billy, 1949. Billy died of jaundice, eight-day-old baby. My grandparents woke up and found a dead baby in the bed between them. Can't, can't even imagine the heartache. My grandma's 93 years old, and you mentioned Billy to her, and she still tears up, understandably. My dad witnessed my grandpa struggling with why God took Billy. Why did God take Billy? Why did God take Billy? My dad remembered as a 12, 13-year-old boy, young adolescent boy, sitting in the living room one night watching the Vietnam draft lottery take place on television. Boys were picked based on their birth date and a particular number. And very early in the Vietnam War, my dad and grandpa were sitting there watching this, and the number that was drawn was my Uncle Billy's birthday. And my dad says, a 12, 13 year old boy, he remembered seeing my grandpa jump up in the middle of the floor and say, Now I know. Now I know. Now I know why God took Billy. Now I know. Now maybe. Completely different in your life, but get this. Viewing a heartbreaking situation through the lens of God's sovereignty brought serenity in a time of heartbreak. So what are we to do? Rejoice in God's solution. Can I say this as we think about the cross, that worst-case scenario... If God can be seen as completely sovereign in the work of the cross, bad as it was, then he can be trusted to be completely sovereign in all other events in life. Our God is in the heavens. (laughs) He hath done whatsoever he will. And as for God... His way is perfect. We often say this, everything God does is for His good or for our good and His glory. You heard that before? Everything God does for His glory and for our good. And boy, I read some encouraging stuff this week and the author made this point. He took that a step further. He said this, listen. He said, God will never do anything for His glory that forfeits ultimate and true good in our lives. God will never do anything for our good if it doesn't bring him glory. In other words, his glory and our ultimate good are inseparable in his mind. You say, Pastor, I'm having a hard time seeing that in a situation. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Rest in his sovereignty and it'll keep us calm. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, we stand. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of these men. And the pattern that they set for us, Lord, so that as we face our own difficulties... Even if we don't understand, we can rest in your sovereignty. Lord, if there's one here today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray that they would see in the work of the cross 
the great expression of your love for them. In giving your only begotten son to die in their place, to pay their sin debt, so that they could have eternal life and salvation through Christ. And Lord, if there's one here today who doesn't know Christ as Savior and they do not have the assurance of eternal life in heaven, I pray that before they leave today, even here in the closing moments of this service, that they would let us help them and that they would cry out in faith to Jesus Christ as the Savior of their soul. And Lord, for believers that are here, I don't know all the situations that are represented I think about what's going on at the national level. I think about difficulties that people face in everyday life, trials and adversity, offenses. And and Lord, what a blessing to be able to trust in, to rest in your sovereignty, to resolve, to seek your face in prayer, to run to the scriptures and to rejoice in your solution, even if we don't see it yet. We have enough evidence from the scripture and history to know that you are always at work and bringing all things together for good to those that love you and are the called according to your purpose. And so God, work in believers' hearts, calm our hearts. May we have serenity and rejoice in your sovereignty. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.